folks, you know you're in for a treat when you hear that tune because it's time for another edition of the Rec Poker Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me here each and every week. I've got the best job in the world because I get to hang out here and talk to my poker friends about the world of poker uh, every Monday night at 7.30 Eastern on YouTube. I encourage all our uh, listeners to come and join. Uh, come in here, join us live. You can answer, you can type your questions into the chat to ask our guests. Uh, you get to see some fun sort of behind the scenes stuff that goes on from time to time when we screw things up before post-production. And um, you also get a chance to win a prize like we do at the end of every episode. Uh, tonight, we're going to give away a copy of Matt Matros's book, The Poker Brain. And I think you will enjoy that. We've had Matt on the show recently to talk about it. Um, but it's a great way to learn a little more about poker and learn how to start making better poker decisions. So um, you'll get a chance to enter the word food bank in the chat later on. And that's how you'll enter the draw. Uh, I, in case I haven't mentioned it, I got to thank our sponsors, the Running Aces Hotel, Racetrack and Casino, and Mark Krishan over at Website Amp. We could not do what we do without them. Um, they're a big part of what we do here, and so are our premium members and uh, folks that spend that $15 a month. That pledge of 15 bucks a month helps us out a lot. Most of what we do here is free. We're a largely volunteer-based organization. And so I was chatting with uh, uh, Oliver Blouth today, one of our newer pre premium members, and we had a great time. He's really excited to get more involved. And I just want to say again, if you're a new premium member and you're feeling a little overwhelmed by the website and all the amazing things that go on there, uh, send me an email, jim at rec.poker. Nothing would make me happier than to take 15 minutes to talk to you about what we're doing here and to just uh, chat poker, because I don't know if you've noticed, but we kind of like poker around here. Um, and it's not just me. There's a wrecking crew. It takes a village to do all the stuff we do around here. If you want to learn more about me, uh, I'm Jim Reed, Bluffsterini in the home games or uh, Rec Poker Jim on Twitter. Uh, you can go to rec.poker slash crew where you can learn about me and all the other members of the wrecking crew that make the magic happen. And you can also meet a couple of them right now just by listening up. Well, I am Chris Jones. Uh, I will just second your endorsement of the Poker Brain Prize tonight. I think it's a fantastic book. I've been reading that uh, lately. But I'm Chris Jones. You can find me 5v5 on Twitter or 5x5 in the Poker Stars home game. And I am John Somsky. I am Poker Geek MN everywhere. Well, thanks, Gain, for joining me uh, tonight. We're going to be talking to Manette Madan, who is a uh, uh, an RFID expert. Um, he's been doing the circuit lately. I know he's appeared on a few other shows. The one and only uh, Chad McVean suggested uh, that we get this guy on the show. And I said, you know what? We've, we've been kind of resisting digging too deep into the hand, uh, the Jack Four situation um, and all that that entails. And I don't know how deep we'll get into that exact scenario here tonight, but I thought it was a good time to provide sort of some contextual information for our listeners uh, about the streaming process, some of the security issues that they might face as a consequence of that. And so we're bringing on uh, an expert here to talk about it. So uh, first of all, uh, Manette, thank you so much for coming on the show here. And it's great to be able to pick your brain and uh, get in there and find out some about these juicy details about what goes on behind the scenes. Yeah, th thanks for having me on, guys. Excited. So um, I'll start just by saying, as I do with most of our guests, uh, you know, the poker world is large. Uh, people pl play a lot of different roles in the poker world. Um, I think of you less as a player and more of sort of an industry uh, professional. Can you tell, t tell the folks at home a little bit about what you consider your role in the poker world to be? Sure. I mean, I, I kind of entered the poker world as a recreational player at first, um, really got into it during my time in college, joined the team. We had like playing tournaments and got really into the the math and the theory behind the game. And I think that's kind of when I realized that there's a lot more that I could kind of use with my 
at the time I was studying computer science, went a lot into software after that. So I think uh, using that software background to kind of apply it to poker was something I really wanted to do. And that's how I started RF Labs uh, a few years back. And today we're building our, our product, RF Poker. Uh, and that's kind of focused on bringing data analytics to live poker and kind of moving the game forward in that that direction. Yeah, so you've been on, uh, you were on Joey Ingram's uh, show recently, you were on uh, uh, Matt Berkey's podcast. Um, why don't you just, in case our in case our listeners aren't completely up to date, why don't, can you just give us a little summary of uh, sort of what the conversation has been and what you've been talking about so far? Yeah, so I mean, with kind of the recent events, we realized that it was a good time to kind of come out and talk about what we've been working on and in relation to of what's going on and also kind of give some comfort to understand what's going on in the whole poker community with uh, RFID, streaming, technology, this whole scandal. Uh, and that's kind of what I went on both those podcasts. My my purpose was really to just answer any questions relating to uh, how does streaming work in poker? How does this technology work? It's something we've been studying for a few years now, um, kind of looking at all the way from the beginning of poker to online poker to uh, streaming with whole cards to RFID, why each of those decisions were made, what security precautions were taken along the way, and how are we in the position we're in right now? And what's the future look like? So uh, that's kind of what we've been working on. And that's why I kind of was mainly on there for our, I think our product is something that directly solves the problems that we're seeing today. And our goal is to kind of make the card rooms and the players comfortable um, along the process. Yes, excellent. Um, and I'll just tell our uh, YouTube chat members, if you've got any questions for a minute, uh, feel free to type them into the chat there. Obviously, Chris and John, if there's anything you'd like to ask, John, I know you're unmuted right now. Um, feel free to jump in there and I'll uh, call on you to ask a question. Um, so let's start with that then, uh, Manette. Um, so people, poker has been around for a long time. Uh, it, it, when they used to televise poker, there was really just like one camera around the table. It, you couldn't see the whole cards. It was really just like watching people's expressions and then seeing what went to showdown. Um, uh, there was this progression that you kind of alluded to there were whole card cameras where people could show their cards. Uh, now we're at the point where the cards themselves has have little uh, microchips in them, essentially. Uh, and then there's antennas in each of the places around the table that can pick up that information. Um, have, have, have there been any major advances in the actual, and let's leave the streaming side of this aside for now, when it comes to just the antennas and the chips and the cards, is that relatively solved technology at this point? Has it been perfected or have there actually been improvements even in that level of the technology recently? Uh, I think uh, within RFID in so itself, and that's kind of from the beginning, RFID is what's been used in these cards. Um, there's been a lot of advancements in the last uh, 10, 20 years. Right. And I think that uh, that's something we've kind of seen in poker uh, very slowly. The cards have basically been using the same technology for the last 10 years or so. But uh, when we were looking at that, we realized that in, around the world, when you go to a grocery store, think about going to, to a grocery store today versus 10 years ago, scanning these tags. Now they're working on ways where you can just put in all your clothes and stuff inside a bag, walk out, and you don't have to even scan it on these self checkouts. So the going from this like manual checkout to self checkouts to these stacked tags is, is a big difference, right? And that's kind of how initially we said, how can we apply that same technology to RFID chips, right? And uh, that's the big difference I think I've kind of noticed in the last 10 years or so is going from just scanning your ID card with RFID or scanning one card and having to rub it on the antenna uh, on a poker table to how can we just throw chips or throw cards and have those be read pretty easily. Uh, that's been the big technology changes on the RFID side. And I think further than that, just in computers in general, the security side, the ability to stream 
at such high speeds with such good quality, uh, with such little infrastructure. All of those things have evolved a lot more than RFID has. But uh, I think everything coming together is what makes the difference there. And obviously, there's the concern about, you know, poker security, if anyone can have like a God mode, uh, kind of access to what's going on there. But it sounds like what you're saying, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, please, uh, the uh, if that is the case, then you could even know the order in which the cards are in the deck to be played. Uh, you could. Is that is that true? Just because they're all kind of there, there in the same. Yeah, th- there are technologies that could allow you to do that. Um, I don't think there are any poker tables today that have that kind of. A level of read sensitivity or um, kind of that kind of accuracy. Even our tables, where which can read at that distance, don't have the ability to read at the exact accuracy of this card is in front of this card and from this card. Um, that would be, and I'm sure there's technology there to do that today, but I don't think that's necessary for a poker game, and I don't think anyone's incorporating that right now. Okay, great. Uh, Chris, do you have something? Yeah, I wonder if you can talk about. Um sort of i think we've all in these last uh few weeks or i can't even remember when this whole thing started when the jack four hand came about i mean but it feels like <laughs> it's been weeks or months or however long we've all kind of like had to take on these amateur sleuth roles and people sort of suggesting possible ways people can cheat and and i wanted to just kind of touch since you mentioned rfid technology there is this sort of like i've heard at least from a number of people this like fear that a bad actor can maybe show up at a table and because there's RFID sort of signals being sent out, they have some thing that allows them to then sort of like intercept those signals or do whatever they, whatever the imagination is about what they're doing to get this. And then they, now they've got access to all the, the data. And I'm wondering if you can talk about, cause like, as I've been trying to figure this out and I just like to hear it from your own words, like, like how does RFID work? Is that even possible? Um, and 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 what are the security for for preventing that kind of thing happening? Yeah, I think when the, when the hand first happened, that was the first thing that social media kind of jumped to, and that's when I kind of stepped out and said, "Let me write a blog post to kind of go over all these things in detail, so people who are interested can see that." And I think that's kind of how these you guys and other people started reached out to us. Um, and, and I want to look in kind of two different directions. One side is the technology itself, and the other side is the implementation of it. Right. In terms of RFID technology itself, there is obviously going to be the ability to read um, cards across the table or be able to scan these things and get information from these cards and these antennas because that's how uh, the streaming works in the first place. Now, obviously, when people build these softwares and companies in the past and what we're doing is to make the implementation as secure as possible, but also make some things just uh, taking some things out of the question. Now, in this exact example, and what you're kind of talking about is if you can have a sensor on the table to read the data from the cards and use that information in, in a bad act, like what a bad actor would do. Right. Um, and I think that with the cards that are used in these case scenarios, the data is all stored on the cards, but that data is not usable as a human. When you see the serial number on a card, you can't really do anything with that. What you can do is track every single card, take notes on, okay, the ace of spades is card number eight, three, five, seven, nine, blah, blah, blah. The Ace of Clubs is this ID, this, and go through them for each card while you're sitting there. Take all the information, and the next time, if you have access to another player's card, you can see that. Which, in in which case, that whole setup uh, itself is almost impossible to do in a card room uh, where there's security cameras and where there's no ability to bring a huge machine or something that's connected to a power outlet. Right. So there's a lot of steps that need to be taken to get to that level of uh, security breaching. Uh, but 
I think the bigger issue ends up being the stuff on the back end side, right? right, right. Uh, not what you see on the table, but when all the information is fed into a control room or into a computer or even into the network, onto the stream, all of those steps are where the security flaws kind of start to come in and things that we can't easily detect uh, in the moment. But that all is on the implementation side. That's not on the technology side. So and to sort of, sort of just summarize then, if there are breaches in sort of a stream, it's more likely on that implementation side than it is on the the technology side. Like the exactly. likelihood of somebody showing up with some like souped up device and just stealing the signals is incredibly low versus somebody working on the, you know, potentially that back end, that implementation side and like getting the signal that way is is like Occam's razor, the far more likely way that you could cheat using an RF the current technologies of RFID. Yeah, and I think a great way to think of it also is RFID is being used in way more um, security-heavy solutions than what we see today, right? Uh, Every one of your credit cards now has NFC, which is a form of RFID that... And people have been worried for for years where can someone just walk by my pocket and scan the card and walk away, right? So credit card companies have kind of taken security precautions to make sure that the data is encrypted, stored properly, uh, Wallet companies have made sure that there's certain materials used to block those kinds of signals. And then even after all of that, you have the ability to block if your card was, if someone used your card, you can go in the app and cancel it, right? So the implementation in each of these steps is what's important. And I think we need to do the same thing in the poker industry. Mm-hmm. Is it fair to say that um, e- that even if someone could kind of harvest the RFID signal, just to, again, to summarize that it, that raw data just wouldn't be helpful to them in real time. They'd need access to that kind of sorting yeah. machine. It, it, it would be helpful to them if they had information about every single card in the deck and every player's cards. Uh, only at that point would it be possible, but getting that kind of information from these type of cards and antennas is pretty much not going to happen. Chris and then so let I mean let's just then talk about the the implementation side of this where we have seen you know at least allegedly uh through the 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 Mike Possle incident and who knows what happened at Hustler but maybe some sort of thing was happening there where if something was happening it was very likely that there was sort of inside access to the feed probably on the implementation side that the team that was like putting together the stream, somebody had access to and was feeding that information to a player. And so I'm wondering if you can talk about that. And then also what I've been really intrigued with is uh, how you think your product might solve that. Yeah. So I think I can kind of break down the entire process for most of the viewers who, who might not know how it works, but Essentially, when you watch one of these live stream games, uh, these, this data is kind of being sent through these RFID cards, right? So the cards are read by these antennas inside the table. That data is sent into a computer, either underneath the table or in a back office or like a control room. That then processes the cards data, shows the cards on overlay, and someone sitting there typing in the bets saying this person called, this person raised, and they have headphones connected to the dealer so they can hear what the bet is. Take all that information, put it into a software, which kind of shows the overlays and then shows it on a delay, right? Um, and there's so many of these things that are different based on each implementation, based on what type of software you're using, what type of cards you're using, which card room is using it, what their network looks like. So all these things kind of change, whether you're live streaming or recording it. Um, but I think the main the main thing is that these cards are being read by uh, antennas, put into a computer, and either someone has access to that data or someone does not have access to that data in real time. 
And I think that's where the, the big question today is, is should there be access to this data and these cards in real time? Uh, 99% of scenarios, you don't need that information in real time. Most of the card rooms we work with or we look at are these small card rooms that have one or two people on the production team who are more focused on, I want to get these cards to the overlays automatically. I don't need to make sure that things are 99% correct. If one or two hands go where a player doesn't scan their cards, that's perfectly fine, right? And with current systems, that's kind of how they're doing. But in cases where you have larger streams, you have to have uh, more accuracy and quality and making sure every single card is being read. So you need to have someone looking at it in real time. Some card rooms even go to the extent of um, looking at the cards in real time, seeing, okay, this is a big hand, and then letting the cameraman know so then the cameraman can go out and record those people. And that can cause a way better stream and quality, but it can also cause a lot of issues in security, right? So these are kind of all the steps that kind of take place in the implementation. Um, now to go to the second part of the question, kind of what we're doing is we're basically trying to make a super high accuracy, high quality solution without requiring any person sitting in the control room, right? And the best way we could do that is by getting rid of the control room altogether. So what we're basically doing is taking RFID chips and using these chips to read the bets on the table. So essentially, you have a dealer who deals with cards. The players have these RFID chips, which feel like normal ceramic chips. We spent kind of years working with manufacturers to get it to the level where you're getting the same weight of a 12-gram chip, the same feel of a ceramic chip, but it has RFID in it. And now when you bet chips, either you bet them as stacks or you throw them, these chips are red. The bet is processed on a computer inside the table, underneath the table. Um, and that data is then put onto a, uh, the stream on an overlay and sent to the viewer 15 minutes later after the delay. So that entire process, there's no one who's coming in between. There's no access to the table through the network other than when the stream kind of goes live. And that's after the delay. And the only way to kind of access that hand data in real time would be to figure out some way to directly connect to the computer underneath the table, which we have secured. So we're kind of eliminating each of these kind of vulnerabilities and making a system that card rooms can just buy, put in their room and not have to worry about security. It just works on day one. Jim, I think you're... Yeah, I forgot to unmute. I pulled the Somsky right there. Um, that's interesting. One of the uh, questions in our chat from uh, Jack LaRue was about using the RFID uh, technology in the chips as well. And so it sounds like that's the the, the level that you guys are at. And it's a, it's a sophisticated enough program that it knows how many chips are in a stack, whether those chips are in front of a player or in the middle of the table, uh, as in, in in the pot. And it, you can and you can also track what uh, the cards are. So in your example, um, it really is completely automated. Uh, what what gets presented in the overlay for the stream it just happens automatically without any human interaction at all. Yeah, and that's exactly you're you're right. And kind of the reason why we kind of went into doing all this and going to that level of detail is not actually really for the streaming side uh, initially. So when I first kind of looked into this technology of stacked chips and stacked RFID tags and putting them inside these chips, um, it wasn't really, we weren't even thinking about streaming at all. The whole purpose was really, how can we use this data to improve our game, right? Because I didn't mm. want to have a live streaming table that costs us so much money and someone typing in the bets every time to get that information. But I wanted that data so I can play live poker while also seeing what's my VPIP after playing every night for two weeks, right? What's my, uh, what are, are, how well are we playing with my friends, right? How are we playing in tournaments and kind of analyzing all that information, but I don't want to sit online and play online poker all day. So that was the initial purpose. And we kind of built the table, built an app, uh, got the RFID chips working to extremely high accuracy, and then realized that there's this whole side of live streaming that the card rooms and the players love where this can be applied to. 
And naturally, because we kind of spent so much time focusing on the accuracy of the RFID chips and the security of the RFID chips, uh, that that kind of immediately applies to the cards and applies to the the live stream as well. Yeah. Yeah, and I know um, I've done a training uh, project before with the Thinking Poker guys and the Just Hands guys, where we played on an RFID table. And a big part of the production cost is having someone there manually entering the action and uh, uh, that sort of thing. If you can eliminate that and streamline the process just to run, I can see that being um, really helpful. I know John and uh, Chris want to jump in here, but one one more question for you then is, uh, uh, so what happens if something needs to be adjusted? Like what happens if the computer gets the action wrong or someone makes an illegal play and it has to take chips back or something like that? How do you How do you fix that? So there are two parts to the system. One is what we call the the RF engine, right? And this is something we've kind of developed over time, which is essentially to detect and uh, minimize human error, right? So our, our antennas and stuff like that can basically read when a chip has been read. Is it moving a lot? So does a player look like they're chip shuffling or is it sitting in place, right? Um, has someone bet out of turn because it's kind of making sure each action is taking place? Has it checked to a player or has it has someone bet one chip and is it a call or a raise? So those type of things that we're all kind of taking a look at and things that we've been testing for a while has been has been kind of taking place uh, for the last few, uh, I would say almost a year and a half now. We've been kind of building the software and kind of working on that. So even with all that, there is a little bit of intervention that has to happen uh, in case scenarios where the computer can't detect what's happening. And for that, we have a tablet that's sitting in front of the dealer. So this tablet essentially lets the dealer switch to PLO or turn on bomb pots or uh, top up a player if their stack is, if they want to add more chips, right? So that way the system is always up to date. But it also, in scenarios, for example, where if someone throws one, if the bet's 75 and they throw 100 chip, right? Uh, it's one chip, it could be a call or I guess that can't be a raise. But if the bet's 25 and they throw 100 chip, that could be a call or a raise, right? So in which case, two big buttons show up on the tablet. Is a call or a raise? And if the action keeps going, it assumes it's a call. If the dealer overrides and clicks raise, it's a raise. So there's small things like that that we're kind of incorporating. Um, and we're kind of working with dealers right now to see how can we minimize the amount of effort required by a dealer and maximize kind of the output to the live stream without any errors. Um, and on top of that, we process all the overlays after the delay. So if there are these issues going on in real time and we're able to fix it, when the viewers watch it, it looks perfectly streamed because it's kind of recorded that history already. It's a great answer. Uh, yeah. John Zomsky, what's up? Um, yeah, I was I was going to ask a little question about encryption, but the way you're doing it, you almost don't need it because the the computer is attached to the table. So there's really no networking that's happening. It's directly wired in there. And then the only time you are getting anything out of the computer is on the 15 minute delay with the stream. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. I mean, there, there are, there are instances where, for example, right now we're working with some card rooms who use our system with an actual action tracker. So we do have a manual kind of tracking thing, even the tablet, all those things kind of need the information. None of those will have the cards in real time. But all those situations, still the data should be encrypted, and we use proper kind of certifications to make sure we're doing that uh, in real time. Yeah. Uh, Chris? Um, yeah, I have a sort of like a question about this sort of in, you know, I, I can picture the, like this in a couple of my local card rooms. Uh, I think it would be awesome. Uh, I've noticed you have a feature for players that can sort of track some of their results. Um, but one of my questions I think is, um, is sort of the goal, like if a card room was to implement this, is the goal like, 
or maybe I mean the goal in your mind is every table becomes one of these, and maybe that is the goal. But if a, if a card room wants to sort of like have a couple of featured tables where they're streaming things, but you know keep the rest of their tables like some of the standard tables, how do how would a uh, players, you know, sh- in tournaments in particular, players are shifting in and out all the time, being balanced and rebalanced. Would they have to sort of like exchange chips or could they keep their, how would that, or all the chips would need to yeah. be RFID? How would that work in a, in a, like a broader context? Yeah. So, so we're kind of working with card rooms in two different ways um, to kind of solve that problem. And I think you're right. At some point, we can kind of see the ability to have five or 10 of these tables sitting next to each other. We're uh, implementing a new 360 camera, which can sit in the middle of the table and record all spaces. So when you watch the stream, it looks like a live stream, but you don't need a full room. And that way you can have 10 of these tables sitting next to each other, all of them running with RFID chips. So there's no operational cost. So there are things we're doing to make it so that at some point you could have multiple of these tables and you can invest in chips for the entire card room as a whole. Um, But as of now, we kind of look at it as a feature table thing, right? So if you were to go from a normal table to a, a live stream, you'd kind of switch out the chips and go to the live stream through the cage, or you just buy in directly for the live stream table. Um, and I think in the future, we're going to start working with card rooms to, and we've already talked to some, got samples to some card rooms, uh, specifically working in Georgia and someplace in Texas as well, where their entire card rooms chips from day one will be RFID chips. And the benefit from that is not actually just the, the tables. What we realized is they actually love the RFID chips, even for the cage. Um, and what you'll kind of notice is a lot of these casinos, uh, big casinos will use RFID chips for the higher denominations, but smaller card rooms can't afford that. And since we're buying RFID chips in large bulks and we're kind of worked to bring the, the manufacturing of these chips costs down so low, a lot of these card rooms are open to just switching all their chips to our, our RFID chips, right? Um, so now you can kind of track how, who's cashing in and cashing out with how many chips. Is a chip missing? Is there a counterfeit chip? Um, and uh-huh. if you have our tables, you can also see what table did it go from? Who did it go to? So that kind of information is extremely valuable. And we can even keep it anonymous so the players feel comfortable. But that's extremely valuable to the card rooms because now they can manage their their cash-ins, their cash-outs, their logs, their security, all through our RFID chips as well. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, the, the yeah. missing chip thing can be a big deal. We, I, If we have time, I've got a question from the audience here. I've yeah. got two people mentioning um, about the app. I'm wondering if you can talk about the app a little um, but one particular question is, does the app rival, uh, from Old Monk asks, does the app rival metrics available to online players? Um, that must be a pretty unique experience for live players. So I'm wondering if you can just talk about what the app is, what that experience is like for for a live player who who has the app and, and yeah. is engaging with this table. So so initially when we when we got into this, um, we kind of looked at the app to just be poker tracker for, for live poker, right? So nice. if you guys use, if you play a lot of online, you kind of see poker tracker, you see the stats. Oh, yeah. Um, but then what we kind of realized really quickly is when when we talk to these players and the card rooms, the live players most of the time have no clue what this data means. They don't know what to do with the information. They don't know, but they really want it, right? They they look at a graph and like, oh my God, this is so cool. I can get better at the game. But then they don't want to sit there and study hours and hours of information on each hand or your your stats and stuff like that. So we're now kind of working with these players to kind of get this feedback and say, how can we make kind of our own community of live players looking at data, right? So one way we've done that is by introducing what's called the RF score, which is kind of like the ELO score for chess or a rating system, but for poker. So now in Georgia and Texas, if you go and play on one of our tables, you can, you'll can you uh, you'll have an RF score and you can see the leaderboard and you can see kind of your results and variance and how that's kind of affecting your gameplay, right? Um, and you can kind of try to get to the top of the leaderboard because 
you have a low variance game where you performed really well or a high variance game and stuff like that, right? Um, and we can now look at breakdowns and see, okay, what percentage of hands are you playing pre-flop, right? What's the range chart look like? And it's a little different than what you'd see online, but it's a lot more fit to a live player who doesn't have that big of a sample size and wants to kind of use that information to make smaller and more micro decisions uh, in real time. So we are kind of learning from online poker, but applying it knowing that live poker is extremely different. There's a lot of variance and low sample size that kind of comes into play. And a large part of it is who you're playing against and who's sitting on the other side of the table. So all those kind of come into play. Yeah, Chris. Uh, one more audience question from uh, Jack. Um, he's kind of wondering about, okay, well, this sounds sounds great, but uh, is this hardware, e.g. the chips, the cards, the tables, uh, cost prohibitive for small card houses? Like, is this, is this something that, that uh, like, what are we talking cost-wise? If you can't reveal that, is this something that you're looking at only like the big card rooms that can really afford this? Or is this something that you're thinking may start to be possible for some of the smaller card rooms? Uh, yeah, I think that's a, that's a great question because for us, we're completely transparent on our costs. We actually show it on our website. You can go check it out at any point uh, if you're a card room. Uh, and we're actually even talking to a lot of people who want it for their homes, right? And this ends up being people who are a lot more professional players who can afford an RFID table, right? But the goal is to kind of get a gaming table that you can go and have fun and play on with your friends and family, record the games, take the information, uh, improve your game with, right? So our goal is always to make a more affordable solution and um, while, while maintaining quality and all that. So for us, for example, the RFID decks is a great example of what we've kind of done in the last two years, right? When we first look at RFID decks and any other live streaming table today, these decks cost anywhere between $75 to $150 a piece, right? Even when we first started buying them, we were buying that at, at $75, which is um, cheaper compared to most companies, but still very expensive. So it's hard to go to a card room and say, hey, you should run our tables 24-7 with the live stream and with the data when you have to pay $75 a deck. So we went to a lot of these card rooms and worked with them and we worked with these manufacturers and now we sell these decks at $10 a piece. Wow. So an RFID tech, same quality as any other RFID deck, uh, but we buy them in quantities and with designs where we can bring the price down so low that we can kind of give these at the same cost as a Copag deck or a normal deck of cards, right? So that's the first thing. And even the RFID chips, if you were to look at these casinos buying the chips, um, they sp spend over 2 to $2.50 on each RFID chip, whereas a normal chip is anywhere between 50 to $0.60, cents, sometimes uh, even cheaper if you buy it in large bulk. Um, so we've been able to bring our chips down to $1.50 a piece, right? And our goal is to kind of bring that down below a dollar within the next year or so. Uh, that's kind of why I've been raising money to kind of buy the quantity that can let us do that, right? Um, and then the last thing is our table, right? Now, the table is interesting because every RFID table today is built where you buy the antennas from one company, you buy the table built from another company, you put them together. And on top of that, you get the chairs and everything. And everything ends up costing a lot of money because of everyone's kind of taking their margins, right? And our goal isn't to make money on the tables. Our goal is to kind of provide the software and get run our business through the software, but provide the tables to as many people as we can. So we actually sell these tables at a loss. We sell these kind of tables, which is our most high-end ones, at $7,500. Um, that's all the antennas, the table build all integrated together. It has a computer inside the tablet. So you don't need to buy anything else with a lot of other setups. You need to build a PC, connect the wiring, get the cameras, get the table. We give everything with the camera, everything together in $7,500. So that's kind of how we're trying to compete with, uh, not just RFID tables, but we're trying to compete with normal tables and a, and a regular table. And we're planning to get these costs down a lot lower in the next uh, year or so. 
That's great. And it sounds like uh, so this is kind of a full package deal to 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 play with this. You need the table because it's got the sensors built into it. You need the chips and the cards in order to send that data accurately. Um, you need the app or the tablet uh, to run that all together. And then you just need um, whoever the dealer is to be the human agent who is taking that step of intervention uh, when it's required. Is that about right? Exactly. Yeah. And we're working a lot on kind of building these add-ons like the 360 camera and the, we have LED lights on the table now that can show who action's on. So we used oh, to have cool. TVs that would show if the cards are red or not. Now, if your cards are red on the antenna, it turns green. If action's on you, it turns blue. So you can kind of see how the lights move. Um, so we're doing stuff like that to kind of improve the experience. And those are add-ons you can get. Uh, our $7,500 includes everything really. Um, and on top of that, I think another important thing notices by us kind of integrating all these things ourselves, we're building we're building one system where there's not really a lot of room for flaws or security vulnerabilities, right? And that's kind of something that I've noticed is if you kind of draw a parallel to like the personal computing market or anything in the past, right? Where you have always a company that's building things like Windows, right? Where you have a one size fits all for any computer you buy, you can just put Windows on it, which works great if you're trying to sell a cheap solution to work for everyone, but that also has a lot more flaws in security than something like an Apple computer, right? Where they're building everything from the hardware to the design, to the software, to the applications. And we kind of look at ourselves in the same way where how can we design and build everything? We have the security experts, we have the design experts, we have the product uh, engineering experts who kind of build this entire solution and the card rooms can focus more on the game rather than the technology. Yeah, John. Yeah, I was wondering um, how durable are like the RF chips and and the the cards, and how long will they last? Because I know that has been an issue with some. I've watched some other streams, and the cards go out. Um, I have not watched a stream that actually used RF chips at all. Yeah, so, so the cards end up being a lot less durable than chips in general. Um, what we've kind of noticed with our cards, uh, our first set that we've been using, uh, the antennas inside the cards wouldn't really break. Those could last, a single deck could last you maybe three months of usage if you use it maybe two to three times a week. Um, so if you're using it every day, a deck of cards could last you probably a month. Um, and then we started to realize that the actual material these cards are made out of, the paint started to rub off and players would start bending the cards and it would start peel. So when we were trying to get these cheaper decks also, we started to look into, can we build custom antennas and custom materials uh, and that's kind of the point we're at now where these decks kind of last us we've have card rooms have used the deck for six months uh using it two or three times a week had no issues no marks on the deck um they don't break so the decks have been pretty durable we give 10 free decks with our table and no one's had to buy an extra order yet in the last year or so so we've been doing pretty good with the decks um in terms of the chips the chips we haven't actually had a single chip break yet now these are ceramic chips uh, so we kind of have the plastic ones and the ceramic ones. We recently moved to the ceramic since they're way better quality. They're heavier, um, and players don't really can, can't really tell the difference between an RFID car, a chip and a normal chip now, considering how we've got them to. Um, and usually these antennas um, aren't like the RFID cards. The cards have like stickers inside. The chips have an actual PCB inside, so that kind of lets it be extremely durable. They say it can last up to twenty years. Um, but I guess we'll just have to figure out in twenty years and see where that goes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll look forward. We'll, we'll have you back on the show about uh, 20 years from sure. now, Aminette. Um, maybe, maybe then we'll have some, uh, we'll be able to get some more of these questions in the YouTube chat. Uh, there are just a couple here that have to do with sort of what happens after, because uh, we did t- start talking about this um, with regards to like the streaming process. So your, your 
program is entirely kind of in its own contained box. And then the question is, what happens after that? Uh, people take the output from that. There's the control room. If you wanted to provide like uh, commentary with uh, the booth, being able to see the cards, um, it sounds like that would just you'd have that happen on the delay as well. And is that just the simplest way to get around the security issue there? Yeah. So what we kind of do is we kind of give you just this link that's output from the the computer, right? And you can put that into whatever software you like. Some card rooms use OBS, which is a software yeah. that allows them to put a lot of overlays, do the commentary. Uh, what we actually like using is a software called Restream because that lets you not even need a computer for that. You can just put it on the cloud on your, like, your website, for example, and you can kind of input that URL. Uh, you can invite people over like this call, have four people talking over it, switch between different tables. So you can do a lot of stuff with that to kind of have all that. And that's all the delayed streams. So you don't have to worry about security at that point because it's already 15 minutes later. Um, and we actually also have a commentary support module for the commentators. So that lets mm. them kind of go and say, okay, I want to show a VPIP graph right now. And that'll show up on the screen after the delay. Or I want to show a chart. And we're working with some places to kind of improve this right now, get it working. So they can show a lot more information than just stats, right? If you want to see uh, automatically, okay, this is the 11th time this player was all in this tonight, right? Or these two have been heads up 10 times and this guy won eight times and this guy won two times. That's more interesting to the player. And that kind of works with a lot of other sports. So we're trying to bring that to poker as well. Cool. I know we're going a little long, but I've got a couple more questions here in the YouTube chat I want to get to. I know Chris has one too, but um, Rob Adsum, uh, one of my favorite guys over there in Rec Poker Premium Land, says, is there an acceptable margin of error or accuracy percentage, uh, for instance, with the chip count reading? Yeah, so, so there are two sides to it, right? Um, with the chips, we read up to 30 chips in height. So the stack has to be 30 chips. That We've never really heard any players complain because no one's really stacking and pushing chips that high. Um, in terms of width, we have two different table sizes. So the one you can see behind me has nine by nine inch squares. So as long as the chips are kind of within that square, um, it works out. And then the other one's a bigger table that has 11 by 14 inch squares or rectangles. So that kind of lets players spread the chips a lot more. They can throw it. Those read a lot better. But the table ends up being about 10 by five feet. So it's a much bigger table. But we kind of try to design the entire circle and the entire betting line for the table so that when you throw your chips naturally, it ends up being around the area where the antenna is. Now, there are is a bit of once in a while, every, say, 10 to 20 hands, maybe you throw a chip that goes a little too far, in which case the lights on the table wouldn't move to the next player because action wouldn't be complete. Mm. So the dealer or you can kind of pull that back towards the square and know that the action's continuing. So we have kind of steps kind of prepared where a game runs pretty smoothly at the same speed. Um, when we first started this about, I think, two and a half years ago when we ran the first game on our first table, we were running about seven to eight hands an hour because of all the issues kind of going on. And sure. today we can run 25, 26 hands an hour, depending on the dealer. Uh, so it feels pretty smooth. We ran sit and goes for four or five, six hours where no player is kind of noticing the difference. Um, and that's kind of what we're focused on building. Nice. And I love the idea that uh, you can have a light just coming on and showing someone when is their action. Anything that can politely move the game along. And some of the games yeah, I've played, that boy, too, yeah. that's, a, that's really nice. Um, yeah. Eric Anderson asks... Um, are the stats that you that you get in your app uh, are they importable into like Hold'em Manager or Poker Tracker or something like that? Yeah, that's something that a lot of people have kind of been asking us recently. Um, we're kind of focused on first kind of getting the data available to the players who are currently working. We're playing on our streams and stuff like that. Uh, we're working with places like oh, we we're talking to Matt Berkey from Solve for Y. Kind of working with them on how can we build a training solution for their uh, courses and stuff like that, and being able to import those and. I think for any kind of these training institutes, um, even with you guys, kind of figure out some kind of way to do that, I think would be great. 
Um, and I think sometime in the future, we would have a desktop application, a website, the ability. We're currently hiring people to kind of build those kind of software applications and, and go further with that. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, one one last uh, question. I mean, you answered you just answered one of my questions about sort of like the training application, because I think yeah. that's also a really interesting one. But um, so what how what can players do if players are like, you know, I would love to see this at my local card room. Like what's 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 the what's the best thing that what would be helpful in sort of advocating, trying to encourage this, build momentum for it? what's what's some things that players can do to sort of help see this come to their local card room? Yeah, so we're right now basically perfecting the last version of our RFID chip technology, right? So we've been working for the last year or so testing in different locations. We've used our manual tracker, our RFID chips. So now I think in the next month or so, we should have it running in some card rooms. And you can kind of go locally in Texas and find some of these places like Texas Cardhouse will be working with us. But I think the big thing that players can do is kind of go to your local card room, go to the manager, the stream manager, production manager, show them videos of our table and be like, hey, we kind of want this and tell them to contact us. Because the more card rooms that kind of contact us, join our wait list, uh, the faster we can kind of put in orders and get these tables out there. Um, and I think that's going to be the biggest step because the more kind of interest we see from that side, the faster we can kind of go and build uh, more updates and better solutions. Nice. Well, I know uh, John's got one more question before we uh, let you go, Manette, but I wanted to say thanks again for coming on the show tonight. Um, and folks, we're going to start doing the uh, food bank draw now. So if you'd like to get involved in the draw and enter your name for uh, a chance to win a prize, just type the words food bank into the YouTube chat and we'll get to that as soon as we say goodbye uh, to Manette here. John, why don't you yeah. wrap things up here? Yeah, I was just wondering, are, are there plans of ever doing other types of games other beyond Hold'em? Um, I, I suppose PLO would be the easiest to start, but I'd even love to see some of the stud games or other things as well. Yeah, we we already support PLO. Um, so we do PLO and Hold'em. We do bomb pots, double board, single board, run it as many times you want. So all the basic stuff is kind of already out there. Um, we are looking to adding more variations very soon, kind of once a lot of the card room starts to request that uh, for live streams mainly. Um, I think it's pretty easy to do draws and studs on this table considering how big our antennas are. So we should be able to quickly and easily implement those once we kind of see that kind of request. Um, and the goal is to kind of keep growing into other types of games and things we can use RFID for in, in like a gaming, live gaming sense, right? Yep. Awesome. Well, um, and I know uh, the we'll put some links in the show notes where people can uh, go find out about the company and uh, find out more about you. But what's your preferred way for people to reach out personally to connect with you? And yeah. what's your preferred way for people to find out more about the company to get more involved with uh, this awesome situation that you described? Yeah, you can just find me on Twitter. I basically live on Twitter. So it's Monit, my first name, M30. Oh, that's my Twitter. Or for RF Labs, you can kind of look at us at Twitter, RF Labs Inc. Or go to our website, rfpoker.com. Oh, that's kind of where you can find all the details of what we're building, the pricing, everything you kind of want to know there. And is there anything um, that we didn't ask about that you want to share with the group before we send you on your way off into the cold, dark, rec pokerless world? No, I think I think you guys are doing a great job. I, I love I love content and I love poker, so I, I kind of love all these companies that are working on doing both of them together. Um, and I think we should definitely discuss how we can kind of work in the future. But you guys are doing a great job. Yeah. Yeah. Cheers. I love that. Well, you'll definitely hear from us. We love adding that layer of learning onto the fun that we're having. And I, I know we could do a lot of uh, cool uh, live events and that kind of thing with this. So yeah, expect expect to call my man. Yeah. Sounds good. Thank you guys. All right. Have a good night. Thank you again. Okay.
So uh, there you have it. That was interesting. Uh, we didn't even, I, I don't think we even mentioned the words Jack for, um, which was probably I, I for the have, I might have, I might have mentioned it like as in <laughs> passing, but we didn't really discuss it much. Uh, and I've, I you know, got the some, other thing yeah, that yeah. it strikes me that maybe this could, I should have asked, right? But I, maybe this could even do is solve the issue of like everybody having to ask each other how many chips they have all day. Yeah. You know, like where you're just like, how, you know, you're like leaning over on the nine seat over the one seat and you're like, what do you got back there? What do you got back there? You know, I think it would just maybe even be possible that players could just see that as part of this. I like that idea. Like maybe the little led light under the table edge could be like a chip count for each person's position. uh, And like, just have like the numbers out there. Uh, I I love the, I think there's some way, some sort of kind of soft ways to move the game along here, which I'm always a huge fan of. I, as much as I love the game, Slow play is the only thing that tilts me these days, and it, it yeah, does. yeah, and I, I, I think that that LED light, if like it could have like a like a, <laughs> a, a really annoying start to flash if you just like, yeah after like ten seconds or something. Yeah, like let's just move it along here. <laughs> Did you guys ever play on those electronic tables? One of those? I don't think I so. No, what okay, do you mean had, by that? So they had they were dealerless tables. Um, I played on them in uh, Wisconsin. They uh, one of the rooms there had it, and it was basically an online poker game that was served up at the table. So everything you'd see, it was a video table. You'd see everything that was out there, and then when you wanted to look at your cards, you'd have to put your hand down, push a button, and then it would display your cards to you. And you'd have to put type your bets and in, in, but you could see everyone's chip stack you could see the action it prevented people from making mistakes because it was it was still basically playing online poker in person um so it'll be interesting to see how that type of thing works i mean i could see you could just have a little well actually you could make it so that people's phones would even have the chip stacks of everyone you could have the chip stacks of everyone in Mm -hmm. the entire tournament for that matter so you could see, okay, I'm second in chips right now, just like you do on an online tournament where all of that information right, right. is readily available. So I think it could be a lot of fun. It probably is going to be a few years before the price gets worked out and that becomes a standard thing. But yeah. it'll be fun. Until you're hosting these in your basement, right, John? Yeah, uh, the basement yeah. of that new, that new house that uh, you and your wife were looking at since the leak. Uh, how's yeah. that going, by the way? Uh, yeah, that's a long story. <laughs> we were looking at one house and that kind of fell through. Now we found a lot that we're in love with, but uh, yeah, we'll see. Okay, cool. I don't know what's going to happen. Well, we've got but more maybe, time. Again, maybe one day I'll have one of these tables yeah, in my I basement. Say, and... I, uh, I think spare, save a room for it at least. Yeah. Yeah. This is. Mrs. Bluffsterini and I are talking about um, eventually doing some kind of renovation here at the place in Coburg. And I'm adamant that there has to be a room that can fit uh, a pool table where we can do a poker tabletop. Is it going to be in the dungeon? It'll probably be in the dungeon. (laughs) The Twitter dungeon. Jim Jim Reed has uh, one of the scariest basements that has ever been known to any human being. Yeah, it's pretty. There's a trap door in my front hall that leads to like literally a double hinge, the double sided, double uh, panel trap door that leads down into this dark basement, um, which is uh, it photographs well. Let me put it that way. It leaves a lot to the imagination. I use it. 
purely for storage. I'm very clear on this. Yes, there's a floor drain. Yes, it has a series of easily wipeable surfaces, but it's not a murder room or a kill room or a dungeon at all. I, I swear, guys, get off my back about this kill room thing. I simply I don't know. Storage. I've never heard of anyone coming out of that room. Uh, that's true. <laughs> To take us back to poker, by the way, uh, Chad McVean uh, piped in in the chat and saying there is a display for all the players to see with chip counts and to show if your cards have been read correctly. So, yes, it could solve that issue, which um, sometimes can be. I don't mind ever when anybody asks, but when they ask like in three successive hands, it's (laughs) this has not changed. Like I didn't, whatever. So yeah, this would, this would be uh, a nice solution to that too. Yeah. I love that. Um, Well, let's do, uh, we've got a bunch of people typing in the draw. There's been a really vibe. There's really uh, a fun uh, back and forth in the YouTube chat here tonight. Um, Great to see Rob and uh, evil Roy and uh, Phil and Eric and everybody, Jack going at it. Um, So I've got, as always, I've got the nerd dice out here. I've got a four sided, a six sided, an eight sided, a 10 sided and a 12 sided die. Um, looks like we're going to use... And they all will roll one, a one. Two, three, four, five, six. Looks like we're going to go six today. Um, Eric Anderson was the the one spot. And he knows. He knows that that's the smart bet. Because he typed in first right afterwards. Because he knew that's where the smart money is. So let's roll the old boring old six-sided die here. And see who is going to win a copy of Matt Matros's The Poker Brain. And thank you to Matt for sharing that. Uh, he knows how how much we love learning and the fun of learning here at Rec Poker. So good for him. And uh, cheers to Matt Matros for making that available. The winner is number three. So that was Eric Rob Jack LaRue. Jack, a perennial winner here on the Rec Poker Podcast, I'm happy to announce. So Jack, you know the drill. Send me an email, please, sir. Jim at rec.poker. And oh, wait a second. Hold on a second. Didn't Jack win? No, that was a different Jack. Uh, actually, the original winner of this uh, e-copy was also named Jack. He had a hard copy of the Matt Matros book. And so he told us that he'd spoken to Mike, uh, to Matt, and that we were able to uh, share it again as a gift. So from Jack to Jack, uh, congratulations. You're going to enjoy that. So yeah, Jack, send me an email, jim at rec.poker, and I'll make sure you get uh, your copy of that uh, there. Yeah, Chris. The uh, audience is demanding that we get some RFID dice, I think, because uh, Eric Anderson, who, who got in first, says this is rigged. The first always wins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. It's and, all yeah, a Jack conspiracy. So, yeah, I think I think we that's the next stage for RF Labs <laughs> yeah, here is right. to get Jim's dice. Yeah, broadcast away. I mean, it is a suspicious number of first places here, and of course, Phil the uh, rabble rousers in there saying that he was third. But just, just try counting, Phil. You were fourth. I know. You know. I, no, I'm not even going to think that level. Just go and count. Eric, Rob, Jack, Phil. I yeah, recount says Rob. Yeah, that's right. It's getting mean in the streets up here in the YouTube chat streets. That's what happens when you get a great uh, book uh, like The Poker Brain uh, by Matt Matros. So thanks for everybody for that. Uh, hey, oh, we're not going to do a recount. We'll just do this again next week, gang. Just show up next week and uh, get your name and get your uh, Sarah your Herring bank next week. Chat there. Yeah, Sarah Herring next week. That's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, and the week after that is uh, uh, Halloween. So we're going to have to come up with some sort of spooky guest uh, for that one. We'll keep that one behind the curtain for now. Um, all right. So, yeah, Jack, send me that email. We'll get you all sorted out on that. 
And uh, John Somsky, why don't you take us into the home game results and see what's been going on uh, this week in home game land? Well, as usual, we do have home games that we have been playing. And for the Mixed Game Championship Series played on Wednesday, October 12th, Zen Heart Shadow Sarah Cotts got her very first Mixed Series Championship win. Nice. Then the uh, on October 10th, Duck and Run, Michael Savage, hey, one of the sweet. Daily Series Tournament of Champions, getting one of the coveted silver pins. <laughs> and Michael, I owe you an email. I can't wait to uh, talk about setting up a uh, uh, a road trip down there. That was a really good idea. So we'll we'll talk offline about that. Thanks, Michael. Then NWire in NC, John Fraley got his first nightly victory of the year. Congrats. B-Chip Charles Allen got his sixth nightly victory. Oh, he's on a roll. A really mad bo- guy is back in action with his seventh nightly for the year. Ket Geek 65 got his fourth nightly for the year. And then not to be outdone, Duck and Run, Michael Savage got his first nightly victory for the year as well. Jay Jamay USA. Yeah, yeah, we got him. Yeah, all right. Okay, (laughs) Jay Mayusa. That's got to be what it is. Jay Mayusa got his second mixed practice event for the year. Isma got his third international. Evil Roy CA David Westerveld got his sixth international victory, and then Toranard Joshua Campbell won the LPP event, so he can contact Jim at Rec.Poker for his free month at Learn Pro Poker. Yeah, that's right. You're not going to want to miss that. And I know um, Josh uh, is already very familiar with the Learn Pro Poker material because uh, he's a premium member here at Rec Poker, so he's got access to the archives. And Learn Pro Poker is one of our Learning with Partners members, uh, along with Matt Berkey from Solve for Why, Jonathan Little of PokerCoaching.com, Sky Matsuhashi at the Poker Forge, um oh god i'm blanking on a few of them because they're not right in front of me right now but in case you didn't know as a premium rec poker member you get access behind the paywall to all these other amazing poker training sites throughout the world they know how serious we are about learning they know how much fun we like to have uh getting better at this game together so a lot of uh, dare i say all the best training sites out there uh, share their paywalled uh, content with rec poker premium members so if you want to come and uh, take a little peek at what we've got going on, you can use the code RECPOKER for the uh, uh, your first month. Get your first month for only $5. But even after that, it's only $15 a month, and it helps us out a lot. And it, I swear, I mean, like the value that you get out of this. We've got multiple uh, events every single day between home games and uh, strategy discussions, study groups, uh, play and hangs, review sessions. Um, there's just a million ways to get involved. Uh, try try your first month for only five bucks using the code Rec Poker, and um, yeah, and and if you if you don't think it's worth the five dollars, just let me know, and we'll, we'll, I'll send you a self uh, send me a self a self addressed stamped envelope, <laughs> and I'll send you uh, five Canuck backs uh, back in the mail. Um, but yeah, that's it's just one of the great things that we do here. Most of it's free, uh, but if you really want to unlock the top end, you got to go uh, go premium, and we really do appreciate all our premium members. Uh, gang, what else should we wrap on about tonight before we head off and record in, uh, the forums edition of the podcast to uh, release later this week? Well, I was just wondering if you would actually believe that 
I practiced that name beforehand <laughs> to try to avoid stumbling over it. But that still did nothing. That's was, excellent. Uh, that was that was good. The only other thing I think we should talk about is that what Jim is sending five dollars in envelopes still. That might be something. <laughs> That's true. Well, we're all we're, we're we're we just got the internet up here in Canada recently, and I'm sure electronic banking. And I've heard about things like PayPal and such. Um, yeah. Until then, no, I just take a five dollar bill, slather it in maple syrup, toss it in the yeah. envelope. I mean, that as one does. Yeah, as yeah. one does. Yeah. <laughs> commerce, you know, commerce. Um, oh, uh, one thing we should uh, mention: the uh, speaking of uh, five dollars, you can win twenty five dollars. Every Thursday night, all our premium members are welcome to join our fun country online play and hang on Thursdays at 10 p.m. Uh, it's free to enter as a nine player sit and go. Usually takes about an hour to get down to a finish. And the winner gets $25 compliments of uh, fun country. So I mentioned at the top, it's only $15 a month to uh, to join Rec Poker. I know like crazy, uh, cra- uh, crazy Roy, evil Roy CA up there, Dave. I know for a fact he's made more money in fun country uh, prizes than he's spent on his premium membership this year. So he is clearly in the black. Just goes to show, folks, come join for $15 a month and you can be one of those people making money playing poker like the pros. Um, This week it was Eric Jin. Uh, He and Dave have been chopping it up over at the Fun Country Opa uh, for the last little while. So uh, come and let's let's shake them out of the winner's tree. Let's get some new premium members showing up on Thursday night, uh, 10 o'clock Eastern uh, to the Fun Country Opa. Come and get a piece of that. Dave's results may not may not be average and cannot (laughs) sue us if you do not. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Dave's results are not typical. All right. Well, I want to thank uh, our YouTube chatters. So everyone that's been great in here, especially Chad McVean. Um, Chad is such a great part of the poker world, and uh, he's been a huge help to rec poker over the years. And it's uh, it's just wonderful uh, seeing him in the chat and getting more involved with uh, awesome people like Manette there. Um, but yeah, Chad, Phil, even Phil, um, Jack, Ben, Old Monk, thanks for joining us. Um, uh, you seem like a new member here, so I can't wait to get to know you a little better. Um, Rob Adsum, Eric Anderson, uh, Jack LaRue, we got Ben in there as well. I uh, got some exciting news about Ben coming up too that I'm excited to share when the time is right. And uh, yeah, thanks for the kind words, everybody. It is really nice um, when we get uh, interaction in the chat. It is fun, it helps us uh, bounce stuff back off the guests better. It's more fun for us. Um, and I do appreciate those kinds word, uh, kind words, uh, Phil, especially coming from you. I know that hurt. I know it hurt you to say nice things about me. And pretty, pretty hard for him to, to pull no. those together. Yeah. yeah, but we do. We do appreciate that. Um, and uh, thank you uh, to Manette uh, Madon for joining us. And of course, uh, Chris and John, without whom I couldn't do this every week. Um, I want to thank Mark Bershawn uh, over at Website Amp. And of course, I have to thank the Running Aces Hotel Racetrack and Casino. Um, but one of the, mostly, I need to thank you, the listeners. We de- we really appreciate your support and your being here. So thank you, and we'll see you next week.